Welcome to the Investing Mastermind podcast. I am Sina Lonholt. And I'm Michelle Markey. Today is the third part of a series about Warren Buffett's four investing principles. And if you haven't heard the first two episodes in this series, go back to the first episode on Circle of Competence and the second show in the series about management. Because if the company is not within our circle of competence, we shouldn't invest in the stock. And if management doesn't have talent and integrity, we shouldn't buy the stock either. So go back and listen and learn. So Warren Buffett's four investing principles are, number one, I can understand the business. Number two, it has favorable long-term prospects. Number three, it's operated by honest and competent people. And number four, it's available at a very attractive price. So how come we go through these four steps before we buy a stock? Well, there are two rules of investing, according to Warren Buffett. Rule number one, don't lose money. And rule number two, never forget rule number one. So we don't want to lose our hard-earned money. And that's why there's some fun work, some homework before we start investing in the stock. And today it's time to talk about the company's competitive advantage, the moat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is, you want it to be adorable competitive advantage. And if some of our listeners may have heard us mention moat in the past, it's kind of like the kind of moat you think of surrounding a medieval castle, like a body of water that helps prevent competitors from penetrating into the fortress. So if you have a business moat, that means you have enough of a competitive advantage. Like you have, like if you were an economic castle, you have high walls, you have a big wide body of water surrounding your business castle that it makes it really hard for other competitors to take away your power. So yeah, that's a little bit more of what we're going to talk about in financial detail today. Exactly. So like in the other episodes, we're using a checklist and you can find the link in the show notes. If you're driving, you can still listen. But today we will give you a few pointers that you should add to your checklist because these points aren't in the checklist and you should note them down Take some notes during the show. If you're driving, come back and listen to the show again. The checklist is a living document and you should always create your own questions and have some notes and uh, shape your own checklist. And that's what we're going to help you with today. And that leads me to the first part, because this is one of those times where you should probably take some notes because this is not in the checklist on the link, but I want us to start with something super important, the types of moat a company can have. Yes. And some companies could have just one moat. Some might have multiple moats. So there could be a few of these if you can discern the advantages that a company has that, you know, you want to think of these advantages as something that sustains the business for a long amount of time that's in the consumer's minds or in any of the clients that do business with that company, what their impression of the business is. And so the these inform the kinds of moats that some businesses have. And the first example we're going to say, not that it's any better than the others, it's just the first among the list, is 
called a brand moat. And many of us can think of this as, say, Coca-Cola. I'm pretty sure out of Earth's like whatever 8 billion people that we've pretty much all heard of Coca-Cola. So that's an incredibly strong brand and one that Warren Buffett loves. And there are so many other brand moats that, you know, we, we think of, you know, this is our go-to and a good indicator of a brand moat is, is if you use that word in lieu of another way of saying it, like once upon a time, Xerox, the copy kind of brand, that one had um, like such a market share in people's minds in the business world that you don't say you're going to photocopy a piece of paper, you're going to Xerox because that was just in the minds of people. So that's a good sign of a brand when you say it like that. Or, you know, if you go to a restaurant, some people might say Coke, you know, and when they say Coke, that means, you know, whatever soda they have, if it's Coca-Cola or Pepsi, but a lot of times people will say the shorthand of the brand and, you know, it's it's usually the dominant one in the industry. And then they're switching, which means that it's very hard to change from that type of business. So a fantastic switching moat also included in this is a network effects would be something like Apple, because if you have a lot of Apple products like your cell phone, your computer, your watch, your you know, your home entertainment system, you don't really want to switch away from all of these interconnected Apple devices. You you enjoy being part of the network that Apple has put up. And, you know, if you have, you know, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, that's a perfect idea of a network that has a very strong market share. Like in addition to Apple Podcasts, one of the other stronger podcasting networks is Spotify. So we can already see, you know, for those of us who like listening to podcasts, like I've, I've pretty much only ever listened to podcasts through Apple podcasts. So that's why it would be hard for me to switch away from that, for example. And then there's also toll bridge moat. And these you can think of like, literally you have to pay a toll before you cross the bridge. So if you want electricity and internet, there's usually only a couple of providers in your neighborhood that offer you electricity and internet, and you might not even have more than one choice sometimes, if any at all. And so you have to basically go through the available businesses that offer these utilities in your area, and that's called a toll bridge. And then secrets moat is if through intellectual property, a company has some amazing technology and products that are very unique and very strong. Like, for example, the company 3M, that one has scotch tape. And that's a little bit of a name brand for like a piece of tape that, you know, you can stick photographs in a photo album and you know that the scotch tape is going to hold those photos in really well, that that kind of tape is not going to let you down. Unlike, you know, generic brand tape that sometimes they're, they're weird to deal with. So 3M has a really good secrets moat of, of keeping a lot of the technology hidden, like you don't know. And another good secrets moat is M&Ms. Like almost nobody knows what's the recipe in M&Ms, like the candy. So if you enjoy M&Ms, some people might make something similar, but they don't have the original M&M recipe. So that's a secret moat that that company has. I want to say it's like Mars or something like that. And then last is the price moat. And price is also kind of known as cost moat, where it's where a company offers the best prices at the lowest cost to them. So 
it doesn't always mean it's the lowest absolute price that a consumer will pay for something, but it's offering you the best price at the best quality and and incurring to the company the lowest cost in them providing those products and services to you. So one prime example of this would be Costco, which I love going to Costco. I like stocking up on lots of stuff from there where I want to buy things at a wholesale price. So it helps me save compared to at a grocery store where they don't have all those things in bulk. And so I can get economies of scale by getting it at Costco, a lot of great name brands and fabulous quality. And I love Costco. So I'm very partial to that one, but there's other ones like BJ's and Sam's club. They do similar things of, of giving you a really good bang for your buck. So those are some of the moats that a lot of companies might have, but not, and actually, even though I say a lot of companies might have, there's actually many companies that have no moats. They, they're just struggling in a fierce battle of competitive uh, fights every day. And you don't know who's going to survive. You know, sometimes uh, some companies may not have any moat at all. They're just operating on razor thin margins and barely getting by. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, that's a really, really good point you made there that it's not all companies that has a moat and we're looking for the ones that has and the ones that are winners. So uh, so that's why it's so important. So now we're moving to the first part of the checklist, which says the company has a profit, not a loss, and it has increasing sales growth year on year for the past five to 10 years. So you have to track back five to 10 years to see if it, it has sales growth. That's also called a revenue. And it has uh, uh, the company has a profit. And I added that one to my list because new investors, they just have to remember to check that the company behind that stock is profitable. There are so many people out there that don't check if the company that they invest in, if that's profitable at all, if, if it comes out with a profit, they just buy the stock without any idea. And it is such an important point for especially a beginner investor to check what is the net income, the net profit of the company. Uh, so make sure to, to check that it's super easy to check. And if you're a new investor, you sh definitely shouldn't invest in a company uh, that comes out with a loss. Leave that to others. In terms of the revenue, the sales growth, the reason why I put that on the list was actually because when I was a brand new value investor, I actually invested in a business that had declining sales growth year on year for a couple of years. I did not check that. So I've put it in my checklist and I also have it in this beginner checklist because it's, again, it's easy to check and it's so important. Luckily for that stock, I still made money because the stock price kept going up, but it was definitely a beginner mistake. Uh, so Sina, just to make sure I understand what you're saying about how we should make sure that a company is a profit and increasing sales or revenue growth year over year for at least the last five to 10 years. One way that I've done that is by going to Guru Focus and looking at the more detailed financial data of, let's say one example of a company I'm interested in studying is Alphabet, aka Google, and their revenue growth rate over the last 10 years was 15.9%. So for 10 years, that was the average growth rate. And then for the last five years, it actually increased to an average of 22.6%. So I think that that's a good example of the kind of revenue or sales growth rate increase you want to see in a company that you might be interested in investing in, right? 
Right. Okay, good. I just want to make sure I had that right for everybody listening and continue on. So when you research a wonderful business, you need to make sure that you know what the company's competitive advantage is. And not only do you need to know the mode, you need to ensure that it's a winner. And for that, we go on to, to table number two, where the company has higher margins than competitors. And this is where we do sort of a analysis of how the company is doing against the competitors. So we can see that it's it's a winner because we want to compare uh, numbers like profit margin, free cash flow, uh, the cash flow margin, the return on invested capital. It could also be that you're looking into owner earnings or other numbers. Uh, most of these numbers are readily available through an online website like uh, stockanalysis.com or they can be calculated from numbers in the annual report. So if you see that a competitor has better numbers than your company, you might want to switch doing your research on that competitor business. So I've actually been in that situation where there was a retail store that I really really liked. I like coming in the store, but I found out that their competitor was a much better business. The CEO ran the business much better. It was an awesome female CEO. And it was really, really great to find out because even though I really liked visiting that particular store, I found out, well, there's actually a better company out there that is a better investment. It's so important actually doing the homework in this table. If your business is the last one on this list you will have to say bye to that company and stop your research on that business because we're only looking for winners. So just make sure that your company is a winner or share the number one spot with another business. Have you been in a situation uh, where you actually had to, to stop doing your research, Michelle, and the business just turned out it wasn't wonderful? Right. Yes. There, there was actually a company I'd been looking into and it it was a little bit of a smaller cap company and, you know, they seemed like they had good growth prospects, but um, some of their generally accepted accounting principles or gap figures were kind of trending negative. Like they had negative numbers for a lot of these figures in your table. So then when I realized that I was like, I can't continue looking into this company as much as it's appealing to me. Um, so yeah, I, I had to say this is too hard and give up on it for you know, that time until it might have more positive figures in the future. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, what you're saying there is so important because we do track performance back. Preferably we go 10 years back and that's the thing about value investors. We want to see year on year growth for, for 10 years in order to ensure that it's a wonderful business. And if it doesn't have continuously great numbers, it's just on to the next company. There are so many companies out there in the, that you can invest in in the stock market. So it's just a matter of saying, okay, I guess this one wasn't wonderful. On to the next one. Mm -hmm. Right. So number three on the checklist is this company will be a winner in 10 years compared to other companies in this sector or industry because dot, dot, dot. And this is an answer that you have to sort of think 10 years out into the future and say, this is why I believe this is, will still be a wonderful company in the future. 
right now I'm watching Becoming Warren Buffett on HBO again. Uh, and in that documentary about Warren Buffett, there is this part where he talks about a baseball player called Ted Williams. And he's got this analogy about swinging the ball. So as investors, we are watching pitch after pitch go by. And then we're waiting to swing for that one ball that's actually in our sweet spot. We're waiting for that one company that is in our sweet spot. We watch company after company go by until there's a wonderful company. Have you seen that uh, that documentary? Yes, and and that's important that um, you know that we uh, stay patient about looking for these kinds of companies that we think will be able to remain sustainable winners in 10 years. For example, when you say the Ted Williams waiting for his pitches, he drew like a, a like a rectangle. And I want to say there might've been something like 49 little squares in there that when the pitch came into a few of those, like say a, um, like say a dozen out of those 49 boxes, if the pitch came in those zones, that was when Ted Williams could make a good hit and, and he would have a great batting average so when we think about companies in that way of which companies do we think can can meet our criteria and sustainably continue winning for a long amount of time, like looking back, I realized like I was a little bit slow to to want to invest in certain companies, even though I was aware of their powerful advantages and products that I use every day that but I was maybe not appreciating how good of a company some of these really were that have been, you know, they've definitely changed my life for the better in the last 10 years. And they're still going strong. And like, there's a good chance that they'll still be doing pretty great in the next 10 years. But then there's other companies that I was also affected by uh, that, that I use their products and services a lot, but those companies aren't always doing so great in the stock market either. Even if they give you dividends and they, you're like, they should they should be winning because I'm, you know, a lot of consumers are using them, but why is their stock just, you know, like kind mm -hmm. of flatlining, not really, it's going sideways. It's not going up. So it's a little strange when, you know, you, you have to really do the work to figure out what is a winning company that, that you truly feel like you understand. And then, you know, when you swing for the ball and hit it, like you're, you're saying, I want to invest in this now that you believe it's actually going to thrive into the future. Like it's not just going to, you know, go sideways and you don't know why it's, it's not progressing. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have anything more to add on this topic? You know, when you were mentioning a little bit of your table, the one thing I wanted to touch on a little bit more was what we're talking about when we say profit margin, because there's different kinds of profit margins. And, you know, would you want to elaborate on that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. So the profit margin for me is is super important. So the profit margin, you can't necessarily compare uh, the profit margin for companies across several different uh, industries. So for example, the grocery industry have kind of tight, small margins. So you want to, when you do your analysis, it needs to be with competitors in the same industry because the, the margins are so narrow in the grocery business but or industry but in in tech for example the margins are quite large so you want to make sure 
that you compare there you there's no really you can't say oh the profit like we say roic must be above 10 percent well you can't say that about profit margin because it really depends on the industry and you want to check against other companies in that same industry mm -hmm. so you know for example um, I know I've heard grocery store margins are razor thin, like maybe two to three percent, something like that. But that would be kind of normal among the grocery store industry. So in terms of looking at profit margins, and um, if if I'm not mistaken, that's supposed to be your net income over net sales, right? Yeah. So exactly. In Times looking... 100 if you want the, the percentage. Right. So in looking for that profit margin, we compare that among, let's say, Albertsons, a popular grocery store chain in the West, and it's also, I think, connected maybe with Safeway. And there's also other chains on the East Coast, like there's Publix, there's Shoprite. And in comparing these stores, you know, if if they were publicly traded companies, they're not necessarily, but if they are, you you might want to see you know, is this a differentiating factor or not? Um, or like compared to Trader Joe's or compared to uh, Whole Foods, which belongs to Amazon. And, you know, if, if that makes any difference, even though Whole Foods is a little bit in its own category because they emphasize organic food. But, you know, that aside, you might also want to see, does Whole Foods have better profit margins than an Albertson slash Safeway uh, who knows? So that's something to look into if you're more interested in that particular grocery store industry compared to like tech, like a lot of, say, um, ad-based revenue companies that are, you know, they're very strong on collecting advertising revenue, like Google and Facebook, the parent company of which is Meta. Maybe it's a certain important metric to look at their profit margins related to the ad business of you know, how well they can convert the eyeballs of a lot of us on social media and streaming videos into buying products because they're exposing us to ads. So that might be, you know, another interesting differentiator in that industry of social media platforms and ad revenues of looking at what are the normal profit margins in that category. Yeah, and and the reason why the profit margin is is so important is because it really shows us shows us how well uh, management are keeping expenses down. Uh, so that's why it's so important to to look at. And of course, you know, the the management can only uh, bring the expenses down so much, like waste, uh, etc. It it all costs something. So in grocery industry, where the margins are, are so narrow they don't have a lot of wiggle room, but we want to find the, the company where the management keeps expenses low uh, so that the company generates a lot of cash from sales for us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why I'm I'm so interested in, in the profit margin as well as the, the cash flow. And and in that table, you know, I'm also looking at the, the free cash flow per share because a company might look great because it's got a lot of free cash flow However, if it's, you know, also a bigger business than the competitors, that's why it's so important to actually break it down on a per share basis to actually see, okay, how is it actually comparable if we were to pocket some of the cash? What is the fr free cash flow margin as well as the free cash flow per share? So we can see, okay, you know, if I buy one stock, how much of that stock is actually free cash that I could 
put in my pocket, so to say. Of course, we can't do that, but uh, it's we're looking into a company as if we were owners, and that's why I'm saying it like that. Right, and and if we buy the stock, we actually are owners at that point, and it's Absolutely. it's just it's just like the same concept of you know a, a very common example of what people do is they buy real estate to rent out, whether it's a house or an apartment. You might buy it and then you want to rent it out. But just like a business in going through all the expenses that go into running that kind of operation, you know, let's say you you get an apartment to rent out to someone, you will have your expenses of property taxes, maintenance costs, the utilities, and you have to subtract all of those expenses. And if you have a mortgage on the apartment, you have a whole list of expenses. And then you have to figure out what is a reasonable amount to charge a tenant and then so that you can still have a little bit of a profit because if you don't have a profit at the end of the day, then you're just doing that out of the kindness of your heart, which is nice. But if you're running a business, if, if you're a capitalist, you're not just trying to do things out of the goodness of your heart. You're actually trying to make some money so that it can go to other things. Like you can reinvest that money for yourself or your family or for you know their college education of your children, let's say. So you know, when you think about it like that, you, a lot of people do this, they're already running businesses. And that's essentially kind of what you're looking at at the end of the day is, is the final profit that you get if you're renting out an apartment. That's like your free cash flow after all expenses, after everything's taken out and the, the free money you have to put in your bank at the end of the day. All right, cool. So we're coming to the end of the show. But for next time, I would really love if the listeners, you guys could find a wonderful company, a winner, use the checklist, try to, you know, use the companies in your circle of competence from the first show and, and try to find a winner. Because next time, we're going to talk about valuation, how much you should actually buy a company for the exact stock price that you should buy a business for. And for that show, you would want to have a wonderful company that you potentially could invest in. So be ready called, next time. And that's called margin of safety. Absolutely. The so, next show is yeah. called margin of safety. That's going to be an exciting topic because I, I who doesn't love getting deals, right? I love getting deals. Yeah, exactly. We were talking about that earlier, right? The the price mode. You like to shop at Costco. I like TJ Maxx and, mm -hmm. and that kind Good. of thing. It's yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for listening in. We're back on Tuesday, and I hope you're going to tune back in. Yes, and before we forget, I also want to encourage our listeners to please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're able to leave reviews because hearing back from all of you would just help us to grow our channel and we want to improve and make sure the content we're providing you is something that you enjoy listening to and you know feel free to ask us questions if you like across our social media and other places you can reach us at so yeah also wanted to mention that yeah thank you for mentioning that important point michelle have a great day out there no okay, bye bye, -bye. If you enjoyed the show and found the content informational, we would be super grateful if you would leave us a review and follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you automatically get new episodes in your feed. We publish a new show every Tuesday.
The contents of the Investing Mastermind podcast are for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. None of this is investing advice. And if you need help in your personal situation, please consult with a professional.